You got your hydrations ready. Perfect. Mm-hmm. All right. Welcome, everyone, to Faded Connections Path of Exile Community Podcast, episode number 89. I'm sad to inform you that Balor Mage has spontaneously told me that he's not going to be able to make it today, but I'm even more hyped, or I'm actually really hyped to announce today's guests. We're going to be joined, or we are joined already, by the one and only Pox and Ziggy D, two absolute stars on the PoE sky, at least for me as someone who started back in 2014, way before I started even considering streaming my own gameplay, I was looking up to these uh, these beautiful lads who have done so much for uh, people to learn and pick up the game and to to aspire to be uh, better players over all these years. So um, yeah, without wanting to dictate the flow of the conversation too much, I'm just quickly going to say we're going to give the guests a chance to introduce themselves. We're going to talk about the good old days and our relation to hardcore and softcore play and how that's changed over the years. And then we're going to discuss the state of the game when everyone is on the same page and everyone knows where we're coming from. So uh, welcome, Pox. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. Um, sorry, do I just go to the intro right now? Um, yeah, whatever you prefer. Uh, whatever uh, you want. The all right. To know. So, if you guys don't know who I am, I've been playing Path of Exile on and off for I want to say about ten years now. Uh, initially started in hardcore for about I want to say five years. May have been like four and a half. After that, uh, I'd slowly started to trickle into some SSF, uh, and now I find myself mainly splitting my time between softcore trade league. Um, and then eventually doing a restart of the exact same thing, but in SSF. So mainly playing Righteous Fire. Very rarely some other builds, mainly Righteous Fire. <laughs> I mean, it's a good build. It's uh, we've we've all played it at least once, right? Right, Ziggy, I, you played Righteous Fire at some point in, I in did. the recent past. I did. I I've always been a fan of Righteous Fire, but I returned to it this league following uh, Pox's br- brilliant guidance. Uh, I have to say, you've definitely cornered the market on the Righteous Fire content. Yeah. <laughs> you've done a good job there, buddy. Thanks. Well done. It was very good. It was a very cozy league start for me. But yes, yeah, so I've uh, I've been playing Path of Exile since closed beta. I think I started playing just before they added the Val in Act 2 as the boss was when I started. I remember I was playing a, a Lightning Shadow. I, I casted... Arc and uh, Lightning Strike and Tempest Shield and Lightning Warp all on the Shadow, and that was my build. <laughs> Just Lightning Shadow, probably no HP, yeah. no damage, nothing. Just trying to get through Act 2, killing s- slow skeletons and golems in the graveyard, skipping the rares because they were too hard. It was good, good times, but yeah. Like a lot of people back then, I played uh, almost exclusively hardcore because it was kind of the, the way to be then. Um, then I transitioned over to 50%, 50-yard swap each league, swap back and forth to try and uh, give good coverage of both sides of the equation, especially at the time there was a lot of hardcore elitism, so I try and break down some walls. Um, and then Path of Exile got um, to be a much better softcore game, in my opinion, over time, so... I switched almost fully softcore, apart from some events. But I did play hardcore trade this league as a change of pace, just to reinvigorate the game for myself a little bit, uh, as a bit of a counter to maybe not enjoying some of the changes that the game has had recently. And that actually was really nice. I enjoyed it a lot. Hmm. That's where we're at at the moment. Really odd if we think about the the nature of the changes that the changes would uh, you know that, that you'd enjoy the changes more or the, the game in general by changing to hardcore. 
But, uh, yeah, it was because it's like the the arch nemesis and stuff like that doesn't support hardcore any more than Puff Exile currently does, which I think is it's not a very good hardcore game in my mind right now. Uh, it's and it's uh, conversely gotten to be a much better softcore game because there's more like interesting risk reward stuff you can take on. But uh, that aside, it was just about the change of pace. You know, I had a different set of goals, I had a different set of expectations for myself, a uh, different like pace of play. Um, and it was just kind of like playing a you know, like a roguelike game. I love roguelikes. It's just like I didn't expect to get very far, just see how far I can get each time, get a little further with each character. So uh except for my cleave character. That character only made it to level twenty. <laughs> that one didn't get very far. <laughs> that reminds me very much of my first character that was uh, a little bit less defined. I couldn't exactly tell you what, what skill it was using actually i myself started in uh, 2014 just before uh, torment and bloodlines leaks dropped uh, i remember like one of the first clips i, I think i saw that said that on the last podcast that we had pox on but that's already like ages ago when i started making the overlay for this podcast i found out i didn't have na- lame labels for you for pox and ziggy i didn't have them for this uh, style of layout because it's just been so long so um but yeah, back then, one of the first videos I watched was uh, Pox dying to uh, an underground river map with a shockwave totem build uh, because Beyond Projectiles got him or something like that. But uh, the game changed so much since then. But I was so bad myself. I, I just played a shadow and tried to do things with dual wield and coming from another game i didn't really realize how much defenses actually need in path of exile that every character needs to put a sound investment into defense next to the offensive investment i thought it was completely viable to do like a glass cannon setup and put all my investment into damage and uh, i was quickly taught that that's not the way to go and then I actually don't know whether it was the the appeal of the roguelike aspect that you just brought up or just the fact that back then it was like sort of the thing, the place to be to play hardcore. But I quickly gravitated towards hardcore and uh, found a home there for many years. But in recent leagues, in Scourge and in Sentinel, I decided because as my community is uh, gathering new members and more excitement from people uh, i've i've had a build uh, a guild in path of exile that we have a lot of people in now a decent amount of people not a lot and uh, group play is really what makes softcore for me great mm. i i really enjoy hardcore because yeah it's just it's great if there's something on the line it's like when you first started playing poker with like real money investment and then you can't ever go back to playing poker just for fun it's not a fun game if there's nothing on the line and it's not exactly the same in path of exile yeah. but that's a little bit of the the feeling that i get and um <laughs> yeah my excursion in softcore has helped me a lot to actually alleviate that feeling i feel like i've been talking for a whole lot of time and did i say anything that resonated with you there are there other reasons for you to prefer softcore over hardcore play um than the roguelike aspect. Grip play is, grip play is interesting because grip play was a huge part of early Path of Exile back when the game was like still being explored and it was very unknown and uh, it was all hardcore grip play. Like all the big streams were playing in groups. There was a lot of pickup groups. I remember doing uh, Act 3 piety farming runs where yep. it was just like open parties and someone would be holding the waypoint open so that you could get quick, you know, speed up the piety kills by only having to run the second Lunaris yep. 2 instead of Lunaris 1. So yeah. just open parties, jumping parties and getting in for the boss calls and everything. That was super fun. 
I remember the exact setup we would do. We would have five runners and one magic finder. Five runners would go. We would all get to piety, get her in calling range, go back, drop a portal, and then have everyone go into the same person's portal. The caller would call, and then we would all go to another portal, and we would just chain do that for hour and now we're back to an hour. And now we're back to that. But <laughs> exactly, with the, but with the culling action, we're, you know, com- we're come full circle. Instead of the <laughs> instead of the loot goblin giving us like you know two two rings and a a two handed Karui chopper, we get <laughs> seven divine orbs and fifty two exalts. So that was a lot of excitement in counting the rares that dropped in like yeah, we just see the four uniques. Yep. I remember being flabbergasted watching like Man Ocean who was streaming uh Dominus Kills man. With Magic Finder. Yeah, yep. he's like he he's all, all these alternate accounts across multiple computers so they could get like that a screen full out. of unique items. Yeah, all, all vendor food <laughs> even at the time, but <laughs> it's like a screen full of uniques and be like, "Whoa, man." So good. Very exciting. But uh it's funny cuz like yeah, I come back to group play recently as well, but in a very different sense, playing softcore uh, co-op with my partner Amy. We play, apart from this very league, because I played hardcore and she's not interested in that, um, we uh, played most of the last many leagues co-op for league start, which has been super fun, actually. It's been interesting to see like some leagues are really good for co-op, some not so much. GG's kind of getting better in that regard, at least. That's one thing they've been doing quite well with, knocking it out of the park with the co-op uh, content for the game lately. It's good, good fun right now. But I think less people play multiplayer nowadays. Overall, I don't. You don't really see it very much. I think well, it's because once you get past your like initial league starter, a lot of people play at a faster pace, and it's just not unless one person's like playing a dedicated support, and the other person's playing mm-hmm. like the dedicated carry. It's hard to have that group play aspect. But I completely agree with you. Like the first, like early stage when you're like building up your atlas, you're sharing boss kills, you're you can even progress your maps together because you're not on permanent quicksilver and permanent onslaught and etc. Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably hitting it on the head. It's the game's just too fast for group play now unless you're, you know, doing like an MP style group or whatever where you've just got like a bunch right. of people zooming at max speed and or you're doing really, really hard content or, you know, it's all about stacking the magic find and that sort of thing. But um yeah if you Killing stuff quickly, um, you know, whoever's ten or twenty percent slower, the monsters will be dead. The fight's over by the time they, you know, catch mm-hmm. up to the person in the head. So you kind of got to slow yourself down a little bit. So yeah, it doesn't support the game. The game doesn't support it quite as well. Whereas before, there was ten minutes fighting a crab, so mm-hmm. you had plenty yep. of time for the party to come together and get all their synergistic auras and stuff, so you can Very get true. that crab down. <laughs> it was a pretty different game. Yeah. Yeah, I just noticed that before the um, before the podcast on the stream, I started up with watching the new build of the week showcase that GGG uploaded, um, season ten, episode one, uh, Lightning Conduit character, and we just noticed afterwards when we went back and watched one of the older build of the week ones with the the melee witch elemental hit witch. It's just the game is such a different pace. Okay, that that's a really extreme example because there's really more than half a decade of time between those builds. Mm. But what I did notice is that the game worked way better back then at the slower pace. You did see the animations make more sense for the characters. Things didn't look as as rushed and as... um, What's the word that I'm looking for? Flimsy? I don't know. Like The animations just made a lot more sense. 
and you actually had enough time to hover monsters and to read mods. So the, the game design seemed to also make more sense with the pace. And now I think things are a little bit blown out of proportion with the game getting faster and faster and uh, other mechanics in the game need to catch up to, to, yeah, make party play more playable again and to also make the mod system make sense. I'm sure we're going to go in detail of, into the discussion about Arch Nemesis modifiers and what they mean to the game. Um, yeah, I actually like the faster pace of PWE overall. Like, I think it's a more fun game nowadays than it used to be overall. But um, it is, uh, you know, not everything gets changed and uh, improved at the same pace. And it's interesting to see how, like, a decade-old game where things have gotten a lot faster, certain things, you know, show up as being a bit of a problem or whatnot. So whether it's like party play, you know, not working as well, or uh, you know, various different aspects of gameplay like flasks and instant leech and all these sort of things becoming, you know, like they don't make sense with the game anymore. Since there's just so much going on in Path of Exile, <laughs> nothing, nothing's, not everything's going to be kind of adjusting at the same rate. True. I like the faster change of pace. I just think, uh, as we were all kind of talking about it everything else that kind of jumps up in speed too becomes a lot more difficult. So as you're killing mm-hmm. monsters faster, you're dealing with the on-death effects of the monsters faster, right? So that's kind of the uh, oh. the big push and pull, I think. And that's how we run into the problem of, you know, we, ha- we the only way we can kill you is if the monsters can kill you after they're dead because everything's going too fast, so. Yep. Yeah. I would like to go back a little bit in terms of uh, or let's rather than going back, maybe moving forwards into a future where we're fighting the monsters and not the things they leave behind after after dying. Yeah. I more, think mm. I think a lot of people would be cool with the idea. They may be against it right away, but like if you would encounter a monster like right now, right, like the Tukahama touched and Shikari and whatever, where you can immediately tell when you're hitting them, unless you have a crazy build, that they are significantly more tanky than the next monster next to them. But the problem is the loot is not always proportionate to how difficult they are. And when builds are built around flash charges and they're not getting flash charges, it becomes into this like very different like reality versus expectation, I guess, right? There's actually almost like no link between the difficulty and the reward of content these days. Um, you know, like talking Arch Nemesis, for example, it's more just about like some of these have the potential for giga loot, and many of them don't. don't yeah. And it's like the stacked normal modifiers that make a really obscene monster on occasion, they don't really have that much more loot than normal. Yeah. It's just these specific things that just arbitrarily have more loot. It's true. Mm. But man, the Arch Nemesis thing, like, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack yeah. there. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's, we're, uh, we're already opening up the topic, and I think we've given a... a Plenty of uh, background knowledge for people to know where we come from. You made a whole video about Arch Nemesis. I did. Mm. Recently. I feel rather passionate about it. I have since the first announcement for it to go core. I was a little bit... I had my reservations then. I was like, "Mm, I don't know. This was a lot in Arch Nemesis League and we had control over it. And now having it be a randomized thing that's just everywhere and unavoidable seems... Very, even Arch Nemesis League, I was like, man, a lot of these mechanics aren't very fun. It's kind of rough. I played Arch Nemesis yeah. League, but I skipped Arch Nemesis mm. because I, I thought it wasn't going to go core. And then it did. And I was like, oh no, I don't know what any of these do. 
exactly yeah, I mean, and, and even and even if you did play it a lot, it wouldn't have actually helped you that much because they changed a ton, and you know, then it's random. You can't. Re- it's not like you can really like look at a monster and know the four archdemons as modifiers it has. Right. Last you might league, pick one. Last league, I, I usually do a hundred push, at least one now every league with RF. And I mean, my characters are very geared, especially in trade league. Right. We're talking. 90 all res, 50 to 70,000 armor, endurance charges and or percentage physical damage reduction, capped chaos res, massive abundance of sustain, block cap, spell block cap, uh, immunity to uh, all ailments, conversion of physical damage for excess hits. I died to a blue mob in one hit in a tier 16 map because it was steel infused. And that's when it had like 30 or 40% overwhelm still before they nerfed it. And it just immediately overwhelmed right through my physical damage reduction, rolled a crit, and just one-tapped my character. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, I can tank a maze, uh, like an Awakener maze meteor, but a blue mob one-tapped my character in maps. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Talk about, like, rewards yeah, it and got not really correlating anymore. Yep. <laughs> Thankfully, it got nerfed. But did it drop anything good when you finally killed it? No, because there was a pack of like fourteen of them. Because it was what it was is um you know those like skeleton I don't know what they're called they put spikes in the floor like Ulmatol and the spikes explode. Oh yeah yeah. But it was the, a blue mob scorpion ish things. Yeah. yeah, that just it popped and my character just died and I'm just like what. They do so much damage because you, you, you get that because you can get hit by multiple projectiles at the same time, right? That and the overwhelm because it's pure fizz, and then that fizz portion overwhelmed. Like I think it was thirty percent before. Just got to get more fizz taken as elemental. Yeah, that was literally the only counter. Endurance charges doesn't matter. Percent physical damage reduction irrelevant. Granite flask, basalt flask, it does not matter. Like you have to have conversion for that one specific mechanic, or I guess evasion. Or Immortal hmm. Call with enough Endurance Charge generation, but then you'd I'm be like, giving up Molten Shell, which is not a good idea. Yeah. yeah. I might have to take a uh, suggestion to the design team then. You're, you've pointed out that there is no uh, monster counter to physical damage taken as elemental, so we might need a monster that uh, counters that in some capacity, I think. Oh. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew it'll, modifier. Mm. it'll reverse <laughs> your conversion. <laughs> oh and man, that would be crazy. Physical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's something like, people okay. wanted for a long time for a support gem, like a support gem that switches off any like innate skill conversion. Like so you could play a pure fizz glacial hammer or something. <laughs> that would mm. be really interesting. <laughs> but yeah, really I didn't mean to interrupt. Did you wanna you want to say something in regards to the, the mechanic overwhelming? Who? I, I feel like I cut you off, Ziggy, there. But if not, then that's okay. Oh, uh, overwhelming in particular? No, no. But I think like Pox is touching on a, you know, a big issue with Arch Nemesis. It feels very gotcha in a lot of ways. You know, there's a lot of these things. It's like, well, it's just hidden thing- modifiers turning off, you know, everything. <laughs> turning off your defenses or yeah. killing you in like cheeky ways that don't really feel it satisfying. So, yep. so as I played hardcore this league, I died four times. Three of them, I think, went to Arch Nemesis encounters. Um, and uh, it, I have historically rather enjoyed my deaths in hardcore. 
like I said, I played hardcore for years before, and like, um, yeah, I, I enjoy a good death, and I enjoy a good rip clip, and I like slowing down people's rip clips and going frame by frame and dis- discerning exactly what happened in the, you know, the crazy situation sometimes where the stars align to create some wacky death. Um, but I never felt very good about any of my arch nemesis deaths. I just felt kind of annoying, kind of disappointing. Yeah. yeah. So kind of kind of a bummer. I mean, yeah, I love playing like roguelikes and stuff. You know, the dying is fun is a, a part of like these people who enjoy these games, who enjoy like hardcore games or roguelikes or, you know, uh, I don't know, simulation games like Dwarf Fortress or Rimwood or whatever. You know, dying is fun, but uh, not so much with the arch nemesis thing. I think just because it all feels so much of it feels cheap, very gotcha mechanics. Yeah. The DM's out to get you, you know. You got a you got a hostile game master for your tabletop game, and they're like, they're like, yes, yes, I put a trap there that was impossible <laughs> for you to detect, and it one shots your characters. Yeah, <laughs> glorious. <laughs> yes, aren't you having yeah. fun? Yeah. I haven't seen all of your rip clips. I, I've seen one though, and I have to say, like, I really like your attitude of like when when you die, that the first thing you is is like have a, a hearty laugh about it and be like, ah, that was the right. <laughs> Which and, one did uh, you see? Because there might have been a laugh of pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was it hide the pain herald laugh? Um, yeah, I think it was one. Uh, was it in was a, it a lake? boss fight? Oh yeah, the lake I, one I was my first death, which I got. I yeah, that one was pretty funny. I did find that funny, and then I was a bit disappointed afterwards because I was like, oh, I died to toxic, which is my least favorite. <laughs> toxic. Yeah, exactly. Toxic to me toxic is like it's not, toxic's not egregious. Um, although that was a pretty egregious example of toxic because I like I killed the monsters and then the monsters were dead and then I dashed through the toxic to like, you know, proceed with the, with the gameplay, continue with the playing of the game, and they like instantly bogged down. It's like literally perfect perfectly timed. So uh that was uh I was like, oh man, come on, so cheap. <laughs> I was like very avoidable, so entirely on me, but Toxic's not like by far, and some people even like Toxic as far as like you know modifiers. Like it's visual, it fits, checks some of the good boxes. So it's no nowhere near one of the most egregious modifiers for Arch Nemesis. But for me, it's very Arch uh, representative of my feelings towards Arch Nemesis because you just feel like you're always dodging Toxic balls, right? Does anyone else get that feeling? Like, oh yes, your Path of Exile gameplay experience. Yeah, is but it's like it's just toxic basically. Balls, toxic balls. It's volatile balls 2.0, right? Like so in the beginning, I like so them much a more less. than volatile. There's They're so not. many more. There's more of them, <laughs> there's yeah. So many of them. Mm. And even with the reduction to like champ packs, you still kill a champ pack and there's like so many of them. Toxic and magma barrier. I showed examples after so what was it? Going into this patch, they said that blue mobs will not spam their skills as much. When mm. I made like my SSF character, and like and right now you can see this character mapping. There are literally times on occasion where there will be like 11 plus toxic balls just following my character after they reduce the massive spawning of it. And it's like, normally it's not too bad to deal with, but there's occasions like I'll open up a strong box before I open up the strong box. I'll put like five fire traps. I'll click the strong box and I'll literally zoom like three screens away, two and a half screens. And I look over to talk to my chat. And then you literally see like this line of toxic balls just coming out from the strong box a screen or two away coming in the home on the character. I think some of it is a little too crazy. 
Yeah, in my Arch Nemesis video, I was recording footage, so I had like three maps to get background footage from Arch Nemesis. Kind of, uh, here's what I think about Arch Nemesis video. And uh, I was like, I had clicked the Lake of Calandra thing to like place my tiles, and a toxic ball came out from two screens away. <laughs> no monsters anywhere. And like, get me one in the menu, and you see me like do a little panic, and then just like an angry shaking of the mouse in the footage. <laughs> so that's it. That made it into the video. I'm like, that's too perfect. It's like exactly. It's like so. It's like it's not even necessarily the worst mechanic because it is still a physical thing you can play around, which I you know I like. That's a good start. But it's like one of the f- first things I when I was trying to figure out how I felt about Genesis, I asked myself the question: Do I want to be dodging? Toxic balls for the rest of my Path of Exile career. And I was like, mm, I don't know. That's kind of a bummer to think about the idea that that's going to be just it from now on. <laughs> this is my life now. <laughs> Dodging toxic balls. Mm. Yeah. So that's why it, it, it stick. That one in particular just stands out for me as like a little thorn in my side personally. Little, yeah, spiritual aggravator. At first, I really didn't like Incendiary and, uh, or is it Magma Barrier, the one that, that does the fireballs? Like the basically the volatile 2.0. I didn't Magma really barrier. like them at all because I thought that the, I really like the, I always called it the hot gas fart sound from the old volatiles, right? That sounds like a really smelly fart, like a really silent one, like a psh. I know the, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, and that sound I missed, right? Like, and it, it took me a long time to get used to the new cues, the sounds from Toxic and Incendiary, or is it Incendiary or Magma Barrier? I think, I think it's, it's Magma, Magma Barrier. Barrier. It sounds like something erupting, right? It's like a. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. I sound But yeah, after getting used here. to them, I think they're fair and they even like a, a, a significant improvement over the old volatiles because they kind of hover at a higher height. So they on top of most monsters rather than in the middle of the monsters and clipping through the bodies, but you actually have them at a like, decent height, like pr- pretty much aligned yeah. with the head of your exile or a little bit higher with like the curse icon on top of your exile. So I think they're fair now after getting used to them, but I ha- I'll have to agree with Ziggy with the, is, is this really what I want to do? Does this make the game a better game if I dodge more of these more frequently and there's two colors of them? And then the other factor that you brought up, the the fact that um, you can't even really tell. I mean, it's a twofold problem. First, what we talked about, the, the pace of the game doesn't really allow anymore for reading the mods. And some mods do really well with that because just like Toxic or Magma Barrier, they have clear visual indicators. So when you find the monster and it has that mod, you can directly tell it has that mod. But then there's other modifiers that are pretty much just a list of stats that don't have any visual effects and they don't have anything that changes the behavior or the the, the visuals of the combat. And those ones are very hard to recognize without hovering the monster. Is it Crystal Skin, which is the one that puts purple little crystals on the floor that you often cannot see when there are ground effects, and then when you kill it after like one or two seconds, it explodes all of them? And it does so much damage. They're cool in concept, it's just like you said, at the pace we play Path of Exile, it's very difficult to understand what is happening all the time with all the screen clutter. It's like part of one of my suggestions in the video was like the idea of having one or two modifiers if you're going to go like halfway because you can see one modifier for Arch Nemesis. Like there are like you see Arcane Buffer, it's very obvious the mob has Arcane oh, Buffer. I hate but, Arcane. 
<laughs> but Sorry. three other mods, the three other mods, you just you're not you're not gonna know, you know, unless it's like literally like Magma Barrier, so it has like a giant visual, and then you're like, okay, I can see these two things together. But anything beyond that, it's like one or two is max for what you can actually recognize in the amount of time that you have to play. You know, we just don't have the ability to see all these things, let alone having to do the deal with ones that you know are less vis- visual, which is many of them. So many mods too. So many mods. I what learned league? what effigy was this league. Is effigy the one where they make the totem and they punch, or yeah. they make the doll of you and they punch yeah. you? I didn't know what that was. Yeah, I had no clue that was a thing until I was in Lake of Calandra this league. And I was like, why am I taking so much damage? I'm not even on the same screen. And it's because a monkey is making a like a voodoo Templar and he's just beating <laughs> the crap out of it. I was just like, what is happening? Effigy <laughs> so. is kind of, a, kind of a funny one. <laughs> it's more humorous than anything. I was just so confused. Yeah. Usually I'm very good at like, okay, that's not what it, you know, I should not be standing there. But I was just at a, a loss of words until my chat was like, no, they're punching the totem of you. And I'm like, wait, this, this is real? This is actually in PoE? Voodoo doll. Uh, I love so many misconceptions about that when doing, yeah, I do like... Yeah, no one really and, knows how it works. And even now I'm confused because I, I think they changed it. So I don't know where it is at currently <laughs> with what, how it works. I have that with a lot of the Arch Nemesis mods that there's been so many changes that, sure, not many as, as significant, but... Yeah, they released like a massive list of the Arch Nemesis mods and then they like changed them a couple days later. <laughs> so it's like completely out of date. At least now the wiki seems to be fairly up to date. I don't know if who's oh, right. keeping that up to date. Yeah, PoEWiki.net is doing a great job. Yeah. Yeah, the Arch Nemesis page is pretty good on there, actually. So it's mostly pretty complete from what I've been able to tell. Um, not sure really if it's putting like in a lot of work to make. Please finish mm. your thought. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, that's good. Yeah, no, the wiki's gotten a lot better. And it's cool to see also GG take over the hosting for that. That's, um, you know, <laughs> good stuff. It's like, like a seal of that. approval almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's to recognition of the hard effort and how necessary it is for our gameplay. Yeah. We're actually, I think Balor and I are planning to to have the people behind PoE Wiki on at some point in the future. They actually reached out to us and, and were a little bit unhappy with how negatively they're perceived by some players. At least that was their impression. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That will be interesting to, to that would be fascinating. learn a little bit much. A little bit about the behind the scenes there and what, what their plans and ambitions and ideals are. Yeah, I'd love to hear from like community members who do big stuff but aren't public-facing. So... Yeah, they're not streamers, so you don't see their faces. We streamers get represented so much more representation than people who do way more work in the community Absolutely. than us. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't do that much compared to some of these people that work on these like third-party softwares that are such fundamental parts of our gameplay experience. Yeah, for example, so they're far more. They'd be far more interesting to hear from than me. <laughs> Yeah, local identity, never sync, all these people who are like doing the really big work on the community tools. True. Who's the awakened POE trade one? I know that's amazing as well, isn't it? It's pretty yeah. much that, that is it's actually crazy to think. Five years of playing HC, I was still too lazy to download a logout macro. Never cared for it. However, when I moved to Softcore Trade, immediately installed Awakened POE Trade. 
just because of how much of a game changer it is with like everything that drops, right? Like everything. And I have a loadout macro <laughs> as well. Yeah, that's true, that's but I would actually have to use it because I don't ever use it. <laughs> I also don't use the hideout macro from it. I'm just very, I don't know, I'm stuck oh, in my what? ways. That's the best part. I'm oh. just so stuck. Every time I type slash HID, everyone's like, you know, you can press F whatever to go to your hideout. I'm like, yeah, but I can't. It's so <laughs> weird for me. It's, uh, yeah, it is, um, like Chad says, a godsend for pricing things in trade. It's just so much easier than doing it, doing it the slow way. Just control D and you, you know, check a couple boxes, just a few sliders. Yeah, it's pretty uh, incredible, actually, how far that tech has come as well. Because, like, the older ones were, you know, many more steps and they were still improvement over using trade normally. Yeah, I remember like setting up my shop with uh, with procurement. Oh. Yep, yeah, it was a fun time on the mm. forms. I actually did even that sometimes when I was too lazy to install procurement because I was like, I just want to sell like a couple of items. I manually linked them in the forum by clicking them on my character page. <laughs> yeah, I remember having a shop on the forums for a long time, mm. many Fine. weeks. I, I still go back to some of my old messages and respond to trade requests from back then. <laughs> and someone tried to buy my, like, six, my six link white bow from <laughs> eight years ago. Go back and respond to the message. I like I have like four thousand unanswered messages, so I go back and respond to a few every now and then from the old, oldest and newest. You know, first in, first out. Just sort of a bit of a delay, a few years before I get back to them. I'll get back to them all eventually. Um, the the progression of trade over Path of Exile's history is fascinating, actually. Like, it's been such a long and windy history and was so unplanned by Grinding Gear Games to how it ended up being. Um, I actually remember, so, like, back in the day, if you didn't play PoE, like, way back in the day, it was... GGG just impl- implemented a system, basically, where we could, um, A, copy-paste the item information of an item because they thought that would be cool so people could share their cool items. And uh, a way of their website being able to hook into items in-game so that you could display them in the forum so you could brag about your character or, you know, maybe say, hey, here's a sick item I found. Does anyone want it? Um, so that's basically what they did. They just allowed us to be able to export them. But that that little opening has led to everything, a progression of technology and an arms race of trading software <laughs> That uh, has led to the uh, very fast and efficient and, uh, as a result, very frustrating trading experience as well. Because uh, you might be like, oh, fast and efficient, my ass. But it's because it's so fast and efficient that it's so frustrating when stuff doesn't work. Like when people don't respond because you can find a very precise item very quickly. So when people don't respond, it's extremely frustrating because you're like, it's right there, I can see it. You're yeah. online, I can tell. Yeah. So it's very frustrating. <laughs> so because it's so powerful, it's uh, it's very frustrating. But it's been such a fascinating, like, windy history as well. Because I remember back in those days when we were, what we would do is we would we would link a ton of items manually into a browser, uh, sorry, into the uh, forum, into a forum thread, and be like, here's my items for sale. Please send me a DM on the forums and I'll get back to you and we'll try and arrange what time we're both online and we'll trade. That's where it started out. And I actually remember around that time, someone made an incredibly powerful browser plugin um, that is closer to what we have now, actually, in terms of like how shop managing and stuff like that was done. And then uh, I can't remember exactly what changed, but that 
technology was lost. So we actually went back kind of to the dark ages for a while, which that was pretty wild. I would love if anyone had, could dig up screenshots of like early trade st- stuff, like because there was a browser plugin then. If anyone has any screenshots of that stuff back then, it's a bit of a long shot. It'd be super fascinating to see it from like a internet historical archives point of view. But uh, yeah, then we we went backwards for a long time, and then yeah, we kind of got we went on to like acquisition and procurement and things like that before getting the you know the trade sites Peewee Trade and now Official Trade and uh, Awaken Peewee Trade now, which is very good. So yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah, to to supplement what you gave, you gave us a pretty nice brief history of trade there. But like one piece of information I want to add is the fact that we only got yeah, you, you obviously you couldn't. Mention it all without like talking, monologuing for like half an hour, giving yeah. like a like a, <laughs> a, a talk on on item trade and path of exile. But what I wanted to add <laughs> is the fact that they only added the fast trade API and like the on page search option because their API was actually getting destroyed by the amount of requests from other people trying to <laughs> go through the the forums right and to to find all these items and index them. Which had to happen several times per minute, right? Yeah, basically, GGD was like, "Okay, we're going to give you like a little little mini API thing here, so that you can uh, you can show people your cool cool items, and maybe you can message a person." And you and we as the community, like, "Oh, well, that's cool. I might build a piece of custom software to physically scrape my uh, items as quickly as possible and amalgamate everybody's threads into." And GGD was like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait! Our servers are waiting to no, no, stop." And like, yeah, and then I think I'll I think I'll make a custom website where people can search all of the items. And they're like, "No, no, no! This is not what we wanted. What do you mean? There wasn't supposed to be any much trading in this game. You were supposed to." Use trade chat. Like, yeah, I think I'll make something that's scanning trade chat as well as that, and we'll uh, we'll put as many calls to your API as possible so that we can keep it nice and up to date down to the second. And like, just no, 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 do that. So that's how we ended up wrong. with the trade we have now. <laughs> Changes to so we're like, no, what are you doing, community? Stop. <laughs> love that. I love how that progressed. Yeah, uh, that escalated <laughs> quickly. Yeah. It's not wrong though. <laughs> they definitely want to keep trading in the form it is now and maybe offer some quality of life, but they don't want it to be more accessible, I don't think. Mm, we got our first good quality of life in a while this league, though, didn't we? With that, uh, yeah, the instant trade, like mm, having to skip the copy paste part. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, one click button and the uh, highlighting of the items when you're selling as well. Really oh, that's right. The hi- Oh, the highlighting's great. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's uh, not a not a real one. That is, love that. I have yet to experience it. Uh, I'll probably experience it mm-hmm. when uh, I, I play some Badger Private League, maybe in a couple of days, or or maybe I'll do some uh, some other. Seeing that there will be no Gauntlet this league, I'll probably do some other Private League shenanigans, and then I'll get to experience it. The small community trading experience is very fun. I find. Um, I've had it before because we specifically ran a private league at one point for pleasing social trade interaction league, which was just all about. Uh, we actually had like a, you know, an honor rule of not using the trade site, so everyone was kind of like finding other ways to trade. Um, so it just isn't a social experiment kind of thing. And then this league playing hardcore trade, which is known for being very uh, limited in number of players. There's like a couple thousand players max. Um, and then uh, with the player drop off this league, on top of that, it was you know close to a couple hundred, a few hundred players in hardcore trade. But I actually like really enjoyed that trade experience because, like I was talking about, yeah, expectations are a huge part of like how frustrated you get. 
A, like 99% of people respond on hardcore trade, I find. Very rare do you get a non-responder and usually it's like, you know, they're in the middle of a boss fight and it's hardcore, so you just wait a minute and then we'll get back to you. Because, um, like, yeah, everyone <laughs> trades are rare, so <laughs> everyone will respond to the trade messages they do get. So that makes things a lot less frustrating. And then uh, your expectations are different. You don't go looking for an item with the six perfect stats and then get really annoyed because that one person that has that item doesn't doesn't respond to you because that's silly. You would never search for that in hardcore trade or in a private league. You you search for an item with one stat that you want, and then you try and you're like, okay, cool. This is this is an alright starting point. <laughs> I like I like search for a pair of gloves with like just one specific affix, you know, and then there's five gloves online that fit that instead of you know, 800 and you have to narrow it down a bunch, which is I, I find very enjoyable. There's a lot more like browsing through, you know, I'll just type in one stat I want. I want plus one amulet. So I put in that and then I just scroll through the seven amulets that come up and I'm like, hmm, that's my favorite of those amulets. I think I'll get that one. The trade filters are built in for you. <laughs> yes. It's self-filtering. Yeah. I I had a pair of gloves, so I always get really lazy in trade league. This always happens. I play the first like few weeks of the trade league and then I restart an SSF and my SSF character ends up with better gear than my level 100 trade character because of I guess reality versus expectation right when I'm in a trade league I just want to map and kill mobs all the time in SSF I want to progress so I had a pair of gloves on whoop for three and a half days on trade league by the time I got them I was level 100 I'm just like wait I don't need this anymore <laughs> too strict of a filter to put on uh, yeah I think you can settle in for the long-term projects in Soul Cell Found, so you stick with it. But yeah, you want that immediate gratification Mm -hmm. in the trade league. (laughs) Yeah. I don't really have any like super major gripes with trading. I just wish that there was like one day we could actually trade without being in the same instance, even if it's just a limited amount of trades per day, right? Like just give us like one or two trades a day where we can we yeah, they. I mean, it's it's a definite. Thing. It's definitely not going to happen, right? Because they said they were going to do it, and then they said, uh, "Actually, we're not going to do that." Which is pretty clear that they like actually were like planning on doing it, and then strongly thought, "Oh wait, this is actually a terrible idea. We don't want to do this." So it's they never really said exactly why. It's probably mostly about the. People seeing each other, MTX's thing, because that's you know it's their business model, so cosmetics for the most part. So you need your players to see each other, so they can see the shiny person that looks cool and be like, mm, "I wish I looked cooler." Um, that uh, that yeah, it's a driving force for that. But it also might be an intentional like trying to make things less efficient for uh, by increasing friction, so that it's not too too powerful, given that it's already such a powerful trade system. Mm. So. Uh, which I I'm not really a big fan of making things less effective through friction in that way through frustration, but it is effective. Yeah, you know, you no, make, that's why I'm saying if really... there was like a hard restriction on it, then there would be less frustration about it because then you're not running into the restriction that the guy doesn't answer or uh, is a yeah AFK same as not answering. I mean, yeah, I I'm I think I'm in favor. I, I say I think because I'm open to the idea of someone presenting some very good ideas of why it's a bad idea, but I, I think I'm in favor of the idea of like a straight up auction house, you know, not with auctions, but you know, a straight up like automated trade system for currency at least, 
Um, it, it'd have to have some sort can, of limitation because in a free-to-play game, you could always have people like make bot accounts and farm them to the the minimum level that they have, and then use the instant buyouts to control the market on one one section. Pretty I mean, much, people people do that anyway. It's it's actually easier for bots to do to deal with the frustration than it is for humans to deal with it. <laughs> so, Fair point. Yeah, like at least it's you know less frustrating for the actual humans. What do we care if bots get frustrated? Then no, bots don't get frustrated. Who cares about them? I think till this day, still sadly, buying from bots in bulk is the best thing you could possibly mm-hmm. do because they are instant, they respond, you buy it, and <laughs> next one, you're done. Oh, I'm big on the bot bet <clears throat> They have very good customer service, the bots. <laughs> Occasionally they bug out, I go to the thing and they like won't do the trades properly because the bot's broken. But uh, most of the time, you know, 9 out of 10 times, smooth trade, instant response, instant invite to their hideout. They a lot of them even have an auto macro message saying thank you for trade. I'm like, oh, so polite. Thank you, bot. <laughs> Thanks for the pleasant trade. Mm. But yeah, like instant being able to click a button and transfer things while the person's mapping without interrupting the flow of their gameplay. To me, that just like makes a lot of sense. But I think it all just really comes down to like the system is or the trade system is already way more powerful than GGG ever wanted. So it's pretty hard for them to give any more additional ground. In terms of making it, you know, faster and more efficient. Yeah, I wonder whether we'll ever hear the the elaboration of the the thoughts that led to their decision against uh, such an implementation. But while I enjoyed this uh, super cool excursion into trade, we actually branched off from the Arch Nemesis conversation at. Hmm. A very interesting point, like just before a, a core issue oh. came up. Before we, before I bring that up, or Ziggy brings that up because it's actually from Ziggy's video. Pox, do you have any like hot gripes with Arch Nemesis that you'd like to bring up? Executioner needs to go. That's <laughs> yeah, about as, it. A, as an mm. RF player, I can totally see as, that. Well, it's just like you ran a ritual and expedition, or you have like an executioner in there, minus 50% total life. Have fun. It's just very irritating. Like I've, I've personally never died to it. But I can understand the frustration with like a player playing this build for the first time and encountering a monster that literally just makes your life and energy shield go to 50% and then gets bonus damage for hitting you because you're at 50%. <laughs> like that's just so unfair. But I completely way down. Every build needs to get countered in some way in GGG's eyes. So I guess this is currently it. Yeah. It counters like nearly every build though. That thing. Yeah. It's, it's like Every build relies on recovery. <laughs> of some type, right. That's true. That's a very good way to look at it. I just thought recovery about life is like the best thing to have on your build. <laughs> it combines very in a very nasty way with uh, with degen and yeah, as a righteous fire, you already naturally got a degen on you. But like any other build that has to deal with executioner in combination with poison or burning ground or uh, bleed, anything of the sort, uh, yeah. Very, very it's much a, feels the pressure. It's a, uh, a pretty f- big force multiplier for existing problems too. So if we even just completely ignore melee, because <laughs> obviously melee is always going to... What can melee do against Executioner? Not be melee. Um, but uh, if we even just ignore that particular problem, uh, a lot of the time the problem is that the rares can move faster than the player. So if there's ever a situation like, hey... We have a dangerous monster. It's an executioner. Ooh, we should be careful. You, 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 there's no gameplay decision. It's faster than you. <laughs> what are yeah. you going to do? Just kill it fast enough that it's not a problem. That's the only solution. So, do the trickster yeah, strats. Cast the frost wall and run away. 
Yeah, so it, it takes a bad problem of the rares being faster than the player. I never... A big problem, and then makes it far worse. I never really thought about that, because I guess because I'm so used to playing Righteous Fire, I have my own set of, like, I'm going to have Onslaught here, my boots will have 30%, <clears throat> uh, you know, I'm minimum three Frenzy charges, I have Blood Rage for attack speed, so I have all of these things naturally just memorized, but you're completely right, because even with all of those steroids... A Soul Eater mob can chase me, which is crazy to think of when I have, like, quite literally, unless I redo my build or get a brand new interaction for scaling action speed, I cannot go faster unless I have, like, a shrine, right? There's just nothing yeah. else I could do. Or you're, like, one of those yetis and it's hasted and it flicker strikes and there's, like, it reduces its flicker strike cooldown so it just constantly stays on top of you or, you know, like you said, Soul Eater... Um, there's a lot of problems there. Actually, it kind of comes back to another thing someone told me, said to me once, which I was like, wow, that really resonated with me. There's only two types of monsters now. Like, so they're all Arch Nemesis, and the Arch Nemesis is the thing we're fighting. There's only two differences. There's only two monsters that we care about now charging monsters and non charging monsters. Non charging monsters, not a problem. You can keep your distance from them, you can kill them, you can deal with all their mechanics. A monster that charges or leaps or teleports, oh, okay. <laughs> that's. <laughs> That's the uh, that's the uh, that's the monster. We're like, oh damn! Yep. Oh, no. You said charge, and at first I was gonna say, but what about Katava Heralds? But then you said jump, so I was like, okay, no yep. problem. <laughs> These monsters. Yep. Every other monster, and then charging, jumping, flicker striking monsters. <laughs> I find those gap monsters like, wow. to be mm. such buzz kills in in my blighted maps. And I'm like doing a good job and setting up my towers, and like here glacial cage, there a chill, there a stun tower, and then you get that that goat boss that just jumps over everything, and you're like, okay, great. What am I supposed to do with that? Yeah, so, I love blight, but it seems like a pretty big pretty big no go now. So, on a very random side note, I did find one benefit of Arc Nemesis in an extremely weird scenario. So Jug has a note called Unbreakable, where <clears throat> I think that's what it's called. 1.5% of physical damage prevented is added as life regen over 10 seconds. So in one of these maps I was running, I found a Knitted Horror with, um, I don't remember what his Arc Nemesis mods were, but he had Soul Eater. And I just dragged him through the whole map with me because <laughs> he does pure physical. So he was giving my Jug a constant 5,000 permanent life regen because he would just hit me and just instantly fuel Unbreakable. And then I learned... That if a ghost possesses a monster with Soul Eater, it resets all the Soul Eater stacks back to one. Did you know oh. that? Because I learned wow. that yesterday. How would you ever discover that if not for that situation, right? I was so sad. I wanted to juice it to the <laughs> maximum capacity. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a kind of non-Spectre uh, Spectre that you found there. Yeah. Is a, I called it Budget Aegis Aurora. <laughs> <laughs> Just find a soul eater physical monster to whack you and stick yep. with you for the whole map. Easy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's so good. I mean, it's really crazy. Like, I was 2,300 life regen, and it would spike me to, like, literally 5.86k permanently. It's really good. <laughs> I do love good recovery on builds these days. My most prized aspect of a build now is, does it heal, like, a lot and fast. So I, I love my Inquisitors. I love my, you know, Tricksters feel pretty good now as well with the, all the AS recovery. You yeah. like Jug now. Jug's in a much better spot. Mm, yeah, that, that, mod's, that mod's pretty interesting. Fair bit of physical yeah. damage flying around. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like like Petrified Blood with like super powerful flasks as well. It's super fun. Uh, you can do some fun stuff with that. So yeah, good recovery is everything. Oof, love it. Man, I got uh, I got Ghost Dance now on my Occultist, and I got the the full suppression cap and the one node where you get fifty energy shield when you suppress spell damage. Fresh. And I think there's some other mm-hmm. like gain on suppress or gain on kill. I I just never have less than like eighty percent life during maps. <laughs> mm. And in the in the same way that I I that's what I wanted to bring up with the executioner discussion, even though I know that there are situations where I have significant problems with it i haven't run into one yet right whenever i find an executioner it doesn't bring me down to half health so i don't even notice that i can't recover to above half health i just you know never drop below half and just kill him before it becomes an issue but you know eventually eventually that's it will combine the, with degens and stuff that's the solution that's the number one solution right just kill yeah, my, my jug takes damage from two things right now Random delirium stuff that happens at the end of the map where, you know, like the boss gets in power and does that weird delirium slam. That in like tier 16 and executioner. So whenever I notice my jug's health go down, I immediately like pay attention to what is happening. 99% of the time it's always executioner. Nothing else just brings his health down. <laughs> yeah, that's a safe indication. Um, this is an RF jug. Ratchet fire jug, is it? Yep. Yep, it's. I think you would like it a lot more than the Inquisitor. He, 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 he likes the fire circle. Yep. Well, it. it's just the, the progression is much better for hardcore. It's hmm. a lot less gear dependent. So, like Inquisitor. Well, actually, I don't know. Do I discuss this now? We'll wait till another time. No, we're already backtracking freely. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Freely, feel free to. Right. So, speaking from a hardcore point of view, Inquisitor, when you're entering around red maps, that's kind of when you need a source of spell suppression, since you don't get spell suppression on the left side. That forces right, you to yeah. kind of go block-based, but then you have to craft a Shaper Shield. Thankfully, it's like 1 in 9 to hit percentage life gain on block if you're using Pristine Fossils. Jug brute forces Ellie Mitigation via armor. So mm, That's really if cool. You, mm-hmm, and the best part about it is it's not only affecting spells, it affects Ellie hits. So when you're running map mods with like 82% extra lightning, that is also getting negated by your Jug node. So Jug... Literally, like if you've seen any of the footage that Catmaster has shown, my jug has no block. In fact, I'm only 79 res and I don't take damage in maps, like at all. The only thing that really hits you or hurts you are like big Ellie hits and penetration. So, like Shaper and Uber Elder, it's kind of crazy. A Shaper ball can one shot my jug, my jug can face tank and awaken her meteor because of how penetration is, yeah. right? So, I mean, obviously one is with Molten Shell on and one is with Molten Shell off, but still, like, it's just crazy how... Because when, when your res gets penetrated, the hit is higher, which means your armor has less value. So it, like, super anti-double. I really like that armor-mitigating elemental thing. It's, it's really cool that GGG was willing to take inspiration from Last Epoch for that one. <laughs> actually, yep, I got to talk with Crip, because Crip is actually playing RF Jug in SSF. And mm. he has a 400k armor jug. Nice. And he told me he does not take damage from anything. His lowest, so his, he has like 600k max Ellie hit against Guardians, but his physical is 120k. Because he has 7 endurance charges, 400k armor, and like 7% physical damage reduction on his chest. His lowest, like his weakest damage type to take damage from is physical. Because of armor <laughs> scaling. 
<laughs> very very interesting. <laughs> but yeah, yep. it's crazy. I was actually wondering how impactful that uh, jug note is. Where it's only eight percent of your armor that applies to alley resist. Uh, the, to yeah, but it's, it's it's after mitigation. Or yes, yes. Which I think like mm. any extra form of. Any extra defensive layer your ascendancy gives you, I think is fantastic, right? Because normally you would have to go out of your way to acquire a new defensive layer, right? Yep. And it's not like think, a, it's not like a capped thing, you know. But yeah, there's you no cap. Keep you can keep keep stacking armor. <laughs> you keep going. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought this was the moment where, uh, because Pox warned us earlier that he's going to cut off. I, I thought for a moment that, that this was the moment where he disconnected. Oh, it's just lagging. It didn't cut off yet. Okay. Yeah, sorry about good. that. No worries. I was just, I, I don't see the monitor at all times. That's why I was like, okay, oh, did he drop out? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we were heading to a very, very um, important point from for the Arch Nemesis discussion, if I may backtrack this uh, entire thing a little sure, bit. Now, what was what you were bringing up? Where we're basically only fighting two different types of monsters: monsters with gap closes and monsters with not gap closes. So mm-hmm. basically, your point, your larger point that you also communicated in the video a little bit more uh, elaborately, uh, was that there the impact that the monster type has on how the combat works out is very very small compared to the impact that the arch nemesis mods have. To the point where individual monsters almost have no identity anymore, and their entire identity is determined by the arch nemesis mods. Yeah, yeah, it's a toxic monster, or it's a magma barrier monster, or it's a on death effect monster, <laughs> or it's a monster that turns off your recovery. It's not a anything else, you know. Apart from the difference that I said, which was the gap closes. They have gap closes. Is the only time you notice what the monster is really now. There's like still occasionally like a, a monster that would have been really nasty. That's also on a nasty base. You know, it's a bit, it's a bit scarier. So there's still like a bit of difference there. Like you, you're gonna, you know, a, a spinny cage monster is always gonna be more tanky than a regular skeleton. Um, but uh, for the most part, yeah, you, monster identity is lost, which is a real shame because that was a strength of Path of Exile in the past. We we had monsters we were scared of. That's what the, that was the thing you talked about with reverence. <laughs> Devourers, yes. the devourer yeah. circles. They would just yep. pop up just all around <laughs> you and all day four goodbye. And that's like yeah. that's like a, a spooky kind of, you know, game like Path of Exile. It's designed to be you know, a, a bit scary. Everything's a bit scary. You want scary monsters in there. And uh it's weird because like Path of Exile 2, what we've seen from like early previews of that was like about having the game be a bit scarier again because the, the monster fights, the bosses and everything were a bit more involved and a bit spookier once again. They had more going on. And then this Arch Nemesis thing seems to be some sort of gap closer, but not in the right way, I don't think, at all. It's not about, it's not really if the intention seems to be to bring Path of Exile 1 to a closer state of Path of Exile 2 by making things harder and slowing down the game a bit, which seems to be one of the objectives of Arch Nemesis. It's not really doing that in the way that achieves what Path of Exile 2 is looking to try and achieve, which is where that's the monsters that we're fighting. So it seems like such a weird decision to go this route. It's about, like, I get it on a lot of levels. It's a, it's a cleverly designed system that allows for a near-infinite combination of modifiers. 
that, that's very efficient reuse of resources. That's very Path of Exile. It's very action RPG. Design a system that lets you take 80 modifiers and combine them together in many, many hundreds of thousands of possible combinations across all the monsters you've got, then you've got millions of combinations. So that makes a lot of sense in that regard. So that's what they were going for, but yeah, it doesn't uh, doesn't bring us to that state that we were hoping to see with Pee Wee 2. I was trying to think. Uh, do you have any pox, uh, thoughts on this pox before I... Uh... I mean, <clears throat> I like the idea of Arc Nemesis. I just don't like the execution, and I'm not really mm-hmm. sure what they do to go about it, to be honest. It's because I understand where, like, what they want to do. They want to bring the game back a little bit with the game is now a little bit slower, monsters are more difficult, you're rewarded proportionately, but it's really hard to do that when so many aspects of the game are built around going fast, right? Like, mm-hmm. that. that's kind of the big one. Like, I, I'll never forget... The number one, like the last death I had when I played hardcore, this was actually before Arc Nemesis, just a random side topic. Um, Stygian Revenants have that explosion, right? Toxic Rain slowed target's action speed, so I slowed the Stygian Revenants' action speed, waited because it w- I was playing defensively, so I waited an extra like half a second before running into the room that I you know, shot my Caustic Arrow into, and I died because I was playing slow because of the action speed delay on Toxic Rain. If I was playing at a normal pace, I would have already been through the room, but I was taking it slow, shooting you know, my Caustic Arrow and waiting. And there's just a lot of lingering mechanics and stuff that just can sometimes really punish you if you are going slow. Yeah, yeah, it punishes the people that it shouldn't really be punishing. Eh? <laughs> like if the objective is to punishing the people going fast... And- Hits those disproportionately compared to people who are stopping to pick up the rare items. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that suffer the most. <laughs> those poor mm-hmm. players who are <laughs> yep. new to the game or trying to get their character going early end. They like, spend four minutes fighting that crystal skin monster and they kill it and they see the loot explosion of four rings and they get excited and they pick up one and then they pick up two and then and then they, they're dead because they don't have Cap Chaos Res because they didn't see the little lotuses on the floor because <laughs> of all the loot that they wanted to click. You fool, you thought you could pick up loot in this game? You fool. You fell for the oldest trick in the book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stitch and Revenance would have been like the one example that I bring up where it still really matters and I see a lot of hardcore players like just nope out of maps when they notice that there's Stitch and Revenance in there especially like those indoor maps with like dark corners where you can't really see things and I died in an armory map Yep, <laughs> exactly what it was. Armory's not even the worst offender of this. I think the the one with like overgrown shrine and stuff with the little bit darker yes, walls and you can't darker see. ground. Yeah, it's actually full dark theme. They did a good job on the visual uh, on the visual uh, visibility of the Sturgeon Revenant things, like that they have the little cone that goes up now, like almost like oh yeah yeah it's like a dot with the red line, mm-hmm. yeah, almost like a loot beam, like mm-hmm. yeah it's yep. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, I don't mind them too much anymore, but I respect them. They're scary monsters. But would I really bring up any other monster type when I was when I would be talking about you know, if I tell you right now in this informal setting about a monster encounter that I had that was very scary yesterday? Would it really matter like which type of monster it is? Most likely I'd, I'd lead with the arch nemesis modifiers that I felt I was fighting and not with the, the type of monsters that was underlaying because... Mm-hmm. 
I mean, not too long ago, before Arch Nemesis and stuff, we had a lot of modifiers that actually where the monster still somewhat mattered because the effect would scale with the monster's main hand damage. And while I'm super happy that that's not a thing anymore because that was bullshit in many instances, right? When like a, a zombie exploded volatile and all of a sudden did five times as much damage as like a skeleton, that wouldn't make any sense. Um, but uh, yeah, some degree of interaction between the arch nemesis mods and the, the monster types that creates a little bit more of a new thing. I, don't know whether you had the time to catch up with our podcast. Last episode, we had Pi by Pi and Marion, and I spontaneously got reminded. By the way, Pi by Pi is also a very, very vocal um, critique of the uh, the arch nemesis thing not contributing to the identity of the monsters. But what I wanted to say is, the discussion reminded me of Kirby's Dreamland. Have you guys played Kirby's Dreamland two on Game yep. Boy back in the day? So I you have these so. three different pets, right? And they combine differently with the different abilities that Kirby can absorb by eating enemies, right? You get the shocking enemies and you get the freezing enemies and the fire enemies. And based on which one you eat, Kirby gets a different ability. But then if you combine Kirby with one of his three pets, the, the hamster, the owl and the fish, they would have an ability that is completely different based on that combination. And like that, that is sort of a, a role model in my head for what Arch Nemesis and the monster system in Path of Exile could be. I can't say I get that reference. <laughs> well, imagine like a monster like a that always has like a Nova-like <laughs> skill, but then you have an Arch Nemesis modifier that makes it more like fire. Then it's a fire Nova. You have an Arch Nemesis modifier that's more like cold. Then it does a cold Nova, uh, and so ah yeah. Right? I mean, if you're talking about like physically, visually changing the skills that the monster does and interacting with them, yeah, I'm on board with that idea. Yeah, exactly. That's Basically, like the, the combination of the of base monster and the, the mods that go on there creating something more than just the combination, but something greater than the sum of the parts, basically. Fun. Or, Maybe a little yeah, bit I mean, complicated. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, someone, I don't know if this is the same thing as exactly what you said, but someone was suggesting on Reddit that instead of Arc Nemesis modifiers just stacking, they would merge together to be the next one. So like maybe two of mm. the lower tier would merge into like, like, I don't know, say incinerary and uh, magma barrier merge to become like flame strider. So instead of it being three, it ends up just turning into one. Um, mm. But obviously that would have to be balanced in a correct way. Yeah. I mean, I've never heard that idea before. It wasn't one of like my like I, I I've suggested like three different approaches to it, but that wasn't one of the ones I suggested. But I love that idea. Yeah, for hearing it for the first time, that, it I would think definitely you could like cut it down to like a fewer number of modifiers and right. then have like a cascading system where you get interesting combinations. Yeah. So like Arc cool Nemesis idea. League. I'm gonna be honest. I don't remember Arc Nemesis League chat. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's how the, like the recipe system worked. <laughs> oh, okay. I just remember people were like, "Pox, have you done the super crazy recipe for everything?" And I'm like, "No." And I'm like, "What do I do?" And they linked me a spreadsheet, and I said, "No, thank you." <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did them like once or twice when I wanted specific things. But then I was like, "Nah, this this is too much effort. I'm just gonna." Engage with the the monsters and nothing much beyond that. 
I mean, yeah. that's not how it worked in Arch Nemesis, though, right? Because no, it only worked when you for put the rewards, two mods together. Not for the mods. Yeah, it, it only it, you put two mods together. The mod would just monster would just have those two mods, and then it would spit out a reward that was the you know the next part in the recipe. But the idea right. is like having the monster put two mods together. It is that next thing. That's actually a really cool idea. Because that way, like, there's definitely some Arc Nemesis modifiers that affect more builds than others, right? Those ones would be the combo ones. So, like, Executioner affects almost every build that has to go close, right? So, if that's, like, Mm -hmm. a high priority that GG gets complaints from, they could make Executioner be a combo between two of them. That way, it's still encountered, but it's, it's encountered much less frequently. So, when players realize it, like, they're like, oh, okay, that's something I have to pay attention to. Same thing, they could do the same thing with on-death effects, right? Players don't like the on-death effects as much, they can keep them in the game, but make it so it's a merge combo, so you, you don't fight them as frequently, and when you do fight them, instead of you fighting 11 at once, it'll be like one or two. And I think that works nicely with the idea of having monsters that just have one or two modifiers, and and then you are seeing a lot less spam, because there is, it's, it's funny how there's 80 modifiers, and yet we see the same mods so frequently, it feels. Like, we, you know, Toxic is... Not actually that common, but we see it so much just because every monster has three or four modifiers and there's many monsters in the map, sometimes hundreds, that can have these. So that means you're getting exposed to them a lot. So you can, with a system like that, potentially reduce the number of modifiers and actually end up seeing these things a bit less as a result, despite there being fewer modifiers total. And I don't know how their scaling works, but I know that GDG was big on adding the quantity per Arc Nemesis mod. They could make it so like a combo merge adds X mm. amount of quantity because I know they have all the numbers on their side. So I can't imagine it would be too difficult, but I don't know anything about this part. So, so these are good. These are some good and interesting solutions to make like the current idea of Arch Nemesis work better. And I think there's like a ton of ideas for that thrown around. Um, and and I mean the current route is kind of more in line with that. Like they're trying to smooth down the rough edges repeatedly with constant little patches until it starts becoming less of a problem. And that's, we're actually kind of, I think, on the precipice of that. I'm starting to notice a bit of a change in tone where some people are like, I don't really mind it that much anymore. You know, I actually like these mods now. I'm starting to hear that sort of stuff a bit more and I'm starting to see it myself even a little bit. I'm like, you know what? Lightning Mirage isn't bothering me that much anymore. I hated it before. Not bothered. They've, they've smoothed it out enough where it's not that much of a problem anymore, so I, I stopped caring about it so much, which I think is where we're going to get with Arch Nemesis. But that's kind of disappointing, isn't it? <laughs> take a take a system that is not great and then keep sanding it down until it's like, I don't really care anymore. It's playable. Yeah, It's there. It's playable. But isn't that like really, how yeah. a lot of the things that we currently would appreciate in the game uh, started out? Like I noticed that earlier when I talked about it on stream that veiled items were like kind of one of the biggest problems for a lot of people. Like everyone hated having to unveil their mods every league. And so maybe it's just been drowned out by other problems that the discussion is like more so focused on other things right now. But I have a feeling that most people are fine with veiled items, even excited about them now, because the the mod gets baked into the item. It's not like a crafted one anymore. It's a stronger version than the bench crafted mod. So you actually potentially get really powerful items. I mean, like one of my helm one of my items on the build right now is a helmet that has good life, a little bit of spell suppression, one resist, and then it unveiled plus two AoE gems, which is obviously really good to put your main skill or your aura setup in there. And I'll be wearing that for still a while to come. 
I mean, and, yeah. that's the thing. This strategy of like constantly polishing something until it works is a valid strategy. It it works, right? Like you <laughs> you either will end up with something that's like at least inoffensive enough to not cause problems, or it might actually end up being good. And I think like the modifiers are a good example of that it was an okay system, and they kept improving it. It took a while, <laughs> but they kept improving it until eventually we finally got to the point where it only takes one unveil to unlock it now, so it's far less tedious. And, like seven. <laughs> yeah, and there's a little bit more excitement because when the ones you do unveil, it feels really nice when you get the minimum frenzy charge ring and it's got chance to generate frenzy charges and you're like, oh, that's a good ring. So, yep. you know, they kept pop- so it worked. It worked in that case. I, and- I can definitely agree with that. This, I would say betrayal crafting, it's not really crafting, it's just unveiling and then crafting a stat basically, but that is how I progress my SSF builds now, especially mm-hmm. after the change to the early game harvest, uh, like reforging your gear. Definitely mm-hmm. try to go more with what GGG wants so trying to get gear out of Ritual because it's pre-rolled, um, trying to get gear out of Betrayal because you get your affixes with an Unveil, and then saving Harvest for a little bit later with some gear. Oh, and also focusing more on the other crafting mechanics outside of Harvest. I think Harvest is still relatively central to the item creation process, uh, at least for like above average gear and probably also in the top end. It's always involved to some degree, but it was just way too central in the past. And I kind of enjoy that we're shifting away from Harvest and we're now utilizing the other things that were given to us. And also, especially the excitement, this has come up a number of times, and also on Bay Class by Captain Lance brought up, the uh, fractured items that we get in excess now combine really well with essences. One of my items is a is a 10% spell suppression fracture on the gloves that just rolled with essences until I got other good mods. Mm-hmm. Those are really nice. Yeah, I... I still want... So as a, as a person who plays PoE a lot, I'm very much okay now with the state of things after getting to explore more. Um, the only thing I wish they would do is help newer players. So, like, I talked about fractured crafting like a week ago. I made a video for like newer players learning crafting. I'm like, here's a base you can buy. The base is not super important. You care more about your fracture. Just know that you have one stat fractured. You're using an essence that's two stats guaranteed. And then you're looking for an open prefix or a suffix. You're crafting your third. You have a three out of six property item that is good enough for most players if you can get that on most pieces. But I want them to add basic fractured gear in the campaign to teach players this instead of these four links because i feel a lot of the time a rare four link is not like by the time you get it it's like act six or something and you you probably have a four link by then and i think teaching newer players to use resources in the game would help a lot and these are very simple things so the quest reward would be like a, a blue item or a rare item fractured already Right, And you could see there'd be like 10 choices. Not a lot, right? There'd be like the three bases or the hybrid bases, and it would be standard. It would just be like life or res. Super simple, right? And then the game would explain like, oh, so here are essences. Like you could pick your essence that you want, and you could use it on your fractured piece, and then you're done, right? And then it would just be something super simple. And I think it would help a lot of players understand what they are encountering that gives extra reward. I'm all for that. Some, some more action like that. Yep. Think I mean, about it like anything that's a rare item. <laughs> tutorial at all. For there's not, right? And yeah. I think that like that's why a lot of new players get so frustrated is they are just obsessed with making currency to buy gear because gear is so expensive when they don't realize that crafting is very easy at the low tier. But there's always the feeling of, at least this happens to me, the feeling of waste in Path of Exile. 
Do I fossil craft? Do I alt spam? Do I chaos spam? Am I using harvest? Like it just, it's so overwhelming, I guess you could say, right? And especially when you proceed and do the method five, 10 times and you don't get a good result, you start to doubt yourself. Mm. Yeah. And also, I guess, sort of like fear of missing out in the sense that a lot of crafting materials or methods are not limited in terms of item level. So if you're like just getting into maps and you're crafting on your what do I know? Item level 72 piece of gear. You're always wondering, like, should I save those materials to craft on a higher base that could maybe also roll tier one resistance instead of tier two? While we're at it, pet peeve. I hate rolling tier 10, seven HP on a item level 100 chest. I feel like that could go. <laughs> like, have like a tapering off of the lowest tier of modifiers would be a nice thing to see for itemization in Path of Exile. Where, yeah. uh, you know, your item level 84 bases can't roll below tier 5 now, you know? I think so, it would be, I don't know if that could be abusable in any type of way. I don't think it would be, and I do think I like that method, especially now with exalts being a lot more dominant to slam items with. Um, it really feels bad when you like remove the life roll from your chest and then slam an exalt and it's like three life and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to have a hybrid roll. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, it would make slamming feel a lot nicer. I don't think it would be that, I can't imagine it would be that broken if like items were dropping with 40 life, you know, and instead, instead of three, seven. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, their top end would be like 89 anyway, right? So I think it would be okay. I mean, you can, it doesn't even necessarily, you don't even necessarily have to play with like how common these things are all that much. Like you can adjust weightings a little bit as well, but having, just having a minimum threshold, you know? I think it would be good. It would give, it would also give a better sense of progression for people mm -hmm. who don't understand crafting to just know that like I have item level 80 piece, the way the mods work is like minus 30 plus 30 or whatever, right? So it would just be a lot easier to understand. I have this like, piece. My mods can't go below X level. Yeah, you, you're progressing and you like get into a higher level map and you get a higher level chest armor and you're like, this item literally can't be worse than my current item because <laughs> it, yep. when I roll, whenever I roll life on it, it's going to be at least 40 and my current one's 37. So it's always yeah. going to end up being better. Yeah, Gives it's you not a, a bad way. Nice little progression jump there. It's an idea that has been brought up a number of times. In general, I'm, I'm, you know, a friend of the idea. I just think that having fail mods, having bad mods on an item is obviously very important for the crafting process. And you, if you think about how many different mods there are and you take from every single mod that matters, you take off the lowest two, three tiers, you'd be eliminating a lot of like semi dead mods. And I, have an uh, interesting disagreement with that idea. Like, okay. there's a, like as a premise, yes, but I think the execution of it, like having it be thorns or light radius or three HP, having be that you know that one that you didn't want that you end up landing. I don't think that's a good solution. I think a better solution is that you land an interesting mod that's not useful for you. So I I think it would be far better for itemization if instead of thorns, which is useful for nobody, you have a niche. Interesting modifier. I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but something that is actually good for another build, but not good for you. You exalt same your item, and you get something that's good for a cold dot build, but it's useless for you. Instead and of then you would al almost always create something of value when you craft. 
Yeah, I mean, you create something that's cool for another. It informs a future character that you want to play instead. Your feels bad moment is has a silver lining because you're like, hey, you know what? This is ah, damn. I didn't get something for my build. That's oh no, I really wanted to get the perfect item for this build. But okay, maybe I want to play a cold dot build next, and this item might work for that. Or my friend's playing cold dot. Let me try another craft. You know, it's it's uh, moving you forwards. It's it's encouraging you to play more. And I like the idea in theory for SSF. Uh, maybe I don't understand enough about how trade economy works. I'm just thinking that probably the economy would adjust in some way, but like you'd have to have a, an outcome when you craft where you generate an item that's not valuable to anyone because the way that you're proposing it, you'd always end up Sorry. with an item that is useful to someone. I guess well, I'd still have mismatched happen, right? lines of stats where you'd say half of the yeah. item is good for this person, other half is good for that person, and so no one ends up really wanting it. Yeah, I, I mean, that, 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 so that still happens, right? You, you fire amulet rolls cold dot, and it's not useful for you, but that's still a far more interesting mod than the light, than the thorns or whatever. So you can look at it this way, though, Catmaster, and this is obviously the weightings that we don't have the... I mean, we, we do have the info, but we don't know in full execution how this would work. It doesn't mean it's best in slot, it just means it's, like, usable. So, for example, I have, like, an amulet last league that it was, like, plus one fire, tier one life, uh, dot multi, and I farmed a hunter orb to slam to try to get. Uh, I think I had regular multi, and I slammed it to try to get fire multi, and I ended up hitting chaos multi. But it was so exciting that I actually got multi. It just was not the right one, and that would be completely unusable for me. But say, for example, you played like some weird black flame occultist ignite proliferation, whatever. That would be usable for that, but I would not say it's like best in slot by any means, right? So I wouldn't necessarily say, because if you think about it from a trade environment, items that are not really very spectacular don't have a very big market for making a lot of currency. And if it's like a weird item, you could could be sitting there for like 20 days before someone buys it, right? So I, I think usually with trade, you're kind of okay as long as you're not like printing out insanely crazy expensive items yeah which usually was from harvest so but of course you know i don't know how everything is going to work in the grand spectrum how do you enjoy harvest right now (laughs) now that you brought it up i i okay so when they first changed it i was absolutely devastated um however uh i'm adapting to the changes right now so for example that right ring i have on my character right now I dropped the fractured T1 uh, dex roll, and I was like, you know what? There's harvest has to be useful for some stuff, right? Like, still, surely, for sure, it's very good for gear progression. Just how do I use it? And then I was just thinking, and I'm like, oh yeah, wait, chaos on rings. There's only one affix, chaos res. So I just put it in harvest and spammed until I got tier one chaos. So now I had tier one chaos with tier one dex with a life roll, and then I just put on whatever else other affix, and it was good. I really like harvest right now for res swap. I think it's super convenient the way it is. Um, you can just, you know, you have X piece of gear and it's not working for you, swap the res. Uh, I really like it for essence swap. It feels really good to just stockpile this stuff and use it when it's convenient for you. I really like that they hit that part and, and did a really good job on it. It's just weird for me transitioning my way of crafting, right? Like just switching from entering maps and having all my gear in a tab and clicking Reforge Life or Reforge Chaos to completely different methods, and then using Harvest as the more mid-tier. 
Yeah. Or as like a gap filler. Yes. Yes. Because like realistically, you're not going to have fractured bases when you first start SSF. So you could essence craft gear, but essence is going to be hard at the beginning, right? Uh, And you won't have like super high tier essences, but definitely you could get some entry level gear. Betrayal is my go-to. Ritual is really good because basically well-rolled gear, right? Uh, You're not going to fossil, like you're not going to delve that much unless you are a super delver. You're not going to have like all of these fossils to just craft your gear because, you know, you have to go through multiple attempts before you get something usable usually. Um, but I think I'm definitely adapting to the change. I've, I will say, um, this is kind of weird, but I put Ruckus on my Atlas, right? So 20 Rogue Exiles with Possessed Rogue Exiles. And I'm farming now because I'm in a grand design setup. So that's 2% pack size. And the amount of stuff I identify is actually so crazy. I've went through over 16,000 wisdom scrolls. And because of, and I know this because I have no armor scrap, or I have no whetstones. And I have more than a cap of armor scraps in my my little trade currency tab, right? Um, But I have identified some crazy good gear. And a lot of it is just from sheer, literally just identify use. But I've probably ID'd like, two or three plus one all spell skills amulets, which is really rare, and like at least four or five plus one fires. So, I don't know, I'm kind of right now enjoying identifying everything. I know that's not sustainable for me, but for at least right now, because I know they're going to do something with with entry-level crafting. They usually do it in a form of a league mechanic. They didn't this time, really. They usually, every so often, bring something out. So for now, this is holding me off. For me, Harvest is the pain of what it could have been and what it was. I think that's what hurts me the most. Because like, if I if Harvest had never existed in any other state, and we just got like it was literally just the quality of life as it is now, like it's a a great implementation of quality of life improvement for Harvest, you know, the way you get the life force now and it's a bit more interchangeable and the using of it and everything is far more enjoyable than it was previously, but it's very hard to enjoy that in light of what has been lost and cut from it. Some really nice things, and I'm just generally a big fan of powerful deterministic crafting. I think it just gives players, it gives players a lot more ownership, a lot more sense of progression, um, much more like a stronger link, emotional connection to their gear. <laughs> all this all this nice fuzzy feelings, uh, I think, comes from powerful deterministic crafting. So moving away from like, you know, some of the nice crafting we had, like I, I never felt more connected to my character's gear and progression and, you know, feeling of upgrading over time than I did, you know, just after Harvest was made core during that kind of little golden era there. So, yeah, it's really hard to appreciate the current state of Harvest uh, and assess how good it is just when you're thinking about, you know, what it could be, what it could have been and what was lost. But, yeah, and it is what it is now. I uh, there's, there's some value there for sure, and it is quality of life-wise a lot nicer, but I'll, uh, I'll hold out hope that future League mechanics come with some nice deterministic crafting that we can at least play for a little while before, you know, I guess. They get kind of cut down a little bit. That seems to be the trend. Is, uh, we get some cool new things and then they get phased out in favor of some other cool new things. Yeah. At least they have been messing with that a bit. Yeah, you're right. There's really like two 
important aspects there of harvest crafting is like one getting to to a state like a safe state or like having points in the item progression that are sort of fixed like as you're creating an item not like progressing items in one slot but what i'm trying to say is when you're progressing an item craft if you want to make one single item and you go from white base to finished item that you want to equip harvest did a great job at like giving people sort of stepping stones like making it so that people are able to break down the very abstract and overloaded process of making an item into little bite-sized pieces that they could tackle one at a time and like that way step by step get closer to the item that they wanted and then on the other hand you have that large like amount of sheer raw crafting power that is leaving a massive vacuum right now because it just got removed the very same time that we also got stripped of um, recombinators last league and mm. I'll do it yeah. Oh, go, go. Sorry, continue. I can finish the thought real quick, uh, but I'm also mixing things. What you said is that you were a little bit more invested in your items because of Harvest. You had a little bit more of a personal relationship to your items. And I do see that point, and I agree, I have that as well. But on the other hand, I have to see that, especially in the light of Recombinators last league, but also this league without Recombinators, I feel much more excited about picking up items from the ground, identifying them and uh, and working on them with other things because Harvest is not such a dominant force anymore and the items are more likely able to compete. Still far away from... It gives, it gives other mechanics more of a chance to shine just because it was so powerful. Um, I don't even necessarily want, like... I don't really want my deterministic crafting system that I want to see in Path of Exalt to be Harvest, even when they first added it core. I was actually like... I had the idea of like, what if killing certain map bosses gave you unlocks of crafts for different flavored like targeted exalts and stuff like that. So you can get like a cold exalt or a cold anol from like defeating core content bosses. So I make it a core system. I was like coming up with ideas for like, oh, how would you how would you take harvest concepts and make them a core element of the game? But obviously, it's not what GGG wants to do. But uh, I was gonna, I was gonna say on a, a po- pretty positive note is that I, I, I very much love the uh, influence, uh, the implicits for oh, the new Eldritch? influences. Yeah, yeah, Eldritch, Eldritch, the Eldritch currencies in general, the crafting. So the uh, the current like the thing that most players will interact with is like getting some lesser. Uh, embers and whatnot, and chucking them on their gear. It feels really good. It never feel. I never feel like I shouldn't be doing it because I'm wasting. They're cheap enough and common enough that you can use them, and they're impactful. The mods are exciting, uh, mm-hmm. like gloves and chest armors, especially yeah, like super exciting. And- yeah, some, there's some great stuff on there. Um, sometimes you, you get something that's not useful for you, and you're like, "Ah, oh, bummer." But you know, you you later on you'll go find a greater ember, and you'll chuck that on instead. Maybe get a better roll or something like that. Maybe you'll gamble some rolls that are good, but not quite as good as they could be. So there's a really nice progression there, and you take your gear and you modify it, and I, to the point where I'm like, I don't want to use uniques very much because I actually really like that system. And then the tail end of that, the later crafting. Uh, that you can do with that as well. I think it's really good too. So I think GGD really nailed it with that. And I would love to see more of that. And it's it's a shame that it's restricted just to four item slots. Um, I like so it. That, yeah. I was going to say I like it a lot because it, for me, is helping me craft future gear now, right? As I'm moving away from Harvest, you get, we go back to fractured pieces, uh, pieces right? So you have a fractured chest with, a suffix that you want. Then you're using an essence that hits a suffix that you want. 
um, then you're rolling for just your third suffix, right? You hit your three suffixes, and now you have poopy prefixes. So you can use your Eldritch currency to sort of influence your prefixes. Not even your implicits yet, but the, this is like one step further. The Eldritch Chaos and the Eldritch Exalt, you can actually sort of target what you want. So for example, yeah. say you want to hit a life roll. It's not that difficult to hit a mediocre life roll. You hit a mediocre life roll, you craft another affix, and then you exalt slam or eldritch exalt slam, and then you recraft the affix you want, and you have a piece that's done, right? That's that's really cool. I like that. It's really difficult to set that up in trade league, or sorry, in SSF, but it's very, very easy to set mm-hmm. it up in a trade league. It's just difficult to get into for newer players, but I really like the implicit re-rolling because there's no harm. Yeah, exactly. Which is really you nice. can improve an existing item without risking yes. losing what you already have. I would like to see the currency divided a little bit more, and I don't want to use more currency, but I just don't like how there are pinnacle versions and regular versions because there's just like, I think it was this league and trade league, I hit level 98 in trade before I got exposure on my gloves with acres, <laughs> which is just kind of outrageous to think of that that's, that's a reality that exists. But I mean, if that's the way they want it, that's totally fine. It just seems a little too extreme at times the, the pools are very large there's so many different modifiers yeah. and there's no way for you to narrow down like in what direction right. you want to roll if they divided them a little bit like they did catalyst so that you'd have like you know something that yeah just like the pinnacle versions ones or yeah because like pinnacle would be more for people who are bossing and the regular ones would be just when you're doing anything else that's not pinnacle bossing and i think it would be okay to divide those currencies so you kind of know what you're getting. You still have to, you know, you're going to have to roll between 35 mods regardless. You're just, instead of 70, you're going to have 35. Yeah, yeah I'm a real big fan of these uh, Eldritch Currency items, especially the interaction with, like, whether the Exarch or the Eater is dominant and then having the Chaos and the Nulls and Exalts work differently. Um, they were really... More of that. Yeah, more of that, especially in the sense that... Um, they were really common when they came out, and now I feel like they're a little bit rare. We're not getting as many as I'd like to. Maybe it would be cool. I, to, yeah. I want, and I hate to say this because I know there's already one, I want to see more div cards that are target farmable for this currency so that players in SSF can play with it more without having to respec their whole atlas to kill a boss multiple times to acquire one or two of these currencies. It'd be cool for a long-term project if you could get, like, five of them. Not like a crazy amount, but like five in SSF would go such a long way, and in Trade League it's not going to affect anything because people are bossing 24-7. Do you, uh, on a side note, do you... Wait, I lost it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I really lost it. Well, I just want... Did I have to do... Do you like divination cards as a solution to these sorts of problems? That's a good question. I think... I think for this specific instance, it would be okay because trade league, there's not a problem and it would just be adding a way for builds that are not as good at bossing to acquire some of that item, right? Like it's not like you're getting the boss drop necessarily because you can get the Eldritch Chaos and stuff from just mapping. I believe it's just really rare. It would just bring a little bit more availability to it and it's, it should not be common, right? It should be like, very rare, but just having it being a potential 
so that you could really set it up. Like you could farm your Eater Atlas in that specific map that drops it and keep running it. So if you don't get it, then you can kill your bosses. If you do get it, you could also redeem some. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it would be cool if you could lean into it uh, from an SSF point of view, like just being able to facilitate it, even if it comes maybe at the expense of something else, like drop a little bit less of this kind of loot and get a little bit more of that kind of loot sort of thing in the Atlas tree. Uh, the point that I was going to ask, topic. I remember it, but no, please, you first. I was just going to say quickly, on this topic, um, I would love to see the minor bosses, what are they called? The, in- the Shrek and the other one? Shrek and Astral yeah. Avalanche, that's what I call them. <laughs> yes, Shrek and Astral Avalanche. It'd be pretty nice if they dropped a guaranteed currency instead of nothing every time you kill them. God, yeah. they're so disappointing. Fighting those in hardcore this league was very thrilling. And then neither of them dropped anything, so that was kind of a I saved, kind of a mega bummer. Saved up a whole bunch of them last league in softcore trade because I only really wanted to get the eaters, so I could practice or sell those because they were going for like two or three eggs a pop. So I was like, okay, um, good way to make currency and to fund my build and to eventually get that headhunter and all that stuff that you want in softcore trade. Um, and then eventually I did them. I did like a whole bunch of. Um, infinite hungers and the first one gave me like an eldritch chaos and an eldritch uh, null and uh, and some icker and i was like oh this is really good and then the next 10 or so gave me nothing nothing <laughs> i mean it would it would it would literally yeah. have no negative impact i think if they dropped a lesser currency like a lesser ember or whatever that's like Yay, you're progressing, you're in mid-tier maps, and you can chuck a thing on your gear now, you're happy. They're like worth like one chaos on trade, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not even worth the trade. Give them give them the guaranteed drop, I vote. Yeah, they, they take a, a, an amount of time, like even with like the forced phase on the infant hunger, I'm not sure, can you one-shot it? I mean, Probably need a lot of damage. now. People skip them like that. Don't do them at all anymore after the first time. Okay. Yeah, I don't do them in SSF. I will only like I'll farm all the way to a hundred and then do all of them because mm-hmm. it's just really tedious for me to. On a side note, let me bring up one thing to to vent. I feel like this is an important topic. How right. do you guys feel about having a second Atlas tree open up after you acquire all four Void Stones? Yes, I am a big. I'm, I'm a big fan of Atlas tree loadout as an idea at least different characters come on (laughs) so this way this way i see it like the player progresses through the campaign they clear the campaign Mm -hmm. they see the obvious or maybe not so obvious four void stones they acquire those four void stones they have an atlas already because they're probably trying to fill it out now they maybe decide they want a boss they have to change their atlas for that immediately once they get the usually when you get your four void stones you're like okay it's time to do something right like i want to do something what map do i want to farm or whatever and i think this would add a great incentive to your secondary character or someone who wants to split between bossing and mapping and it's you're still going to have to respec right and by doing this they can then add a new currency that is like a giga orb of unmaking that resets your entire tree so it gives them another reason for it come on ggg it's current year how, how are we only stuck on one tree with no loadout system Ridiculous. I think it would be good, personally. (laughs) 
I like I like your idea, but I'd also be in favor of just free loadouts for everyone. <laughs> sure, <laughs> absolutely, or at least like different trees for different characters. Come on, yeah, no, I get it. Actually, that's part of the reason why I don't like playing multiple characters anymore. I really enjoy, and this may be a little masochistic of me, but I enjoy the Atlas progression. And once it's done, I I kind of want to do it again. And making a new character doesn't fulfill that feel for me. That's why you restart an SSF. That is partially why. Yeah, it's really weird, right? Like I, I really enjoy building my atlas, creating a new strategy, and just going about it again, kind of like a roguelike. Except I'm not gonna die and restart. I choose when I restart <laughs> it, and I kind of track all the stuff that happens, how many divines I get, you know, like where I got my gear upgrades from, and I just really like it. And I would see myself playing more if my second character did not have to face against the grand design 40% pack size, you know, Atlas I'm currently on, because then that puts unrealistic expectation on that other character. Absolutely. When we had the the mini uh, Atlas trees, I remember that was already a oh, point the... that was heavily talked about that Octavian kept bringing up, that as someone who enjoys playing hardcore and who re-rolls in conjunction with the hardcore play or is forced into rerolls like it's it's really a burden that you have to like then invest into respecking those to make them actually not so rippy or like doable on your new character when that's just entered maps so yeah very much agree with that the point that i uh, forgot earlier when i wanted to bring it up and i know this is a little bit of a sidetrack now and it was already then but now even more but do you think do you feel as an SSF player that because you brought up divination cards as a possible solution to the Eldritch currency accessibility and target farmability, do you think divination cards are in a good spot right now in terms of being able to farm them? No, no. Um, very few of them, yes, but a lot of them, mm. no. I, I wanted exception. to uh, change that bind works. Uh, I farmed like two or three chains that bind for six link this league, and it was like not a mm. problem. I'd probably say it took me like 30 to 40 red tier pen maps, which I think is good, right? Like I, I worked for it. I got it. I, I felt happy about it. I got a guaranteed six link. But like an example, I tried to farm a death card. Death card goes into Montreal's. I can make a new character, turn into Montreal's on a level four character, which sets the Montreal's grasp at level four. Then I can take four void scepters. Vendor them and then get an item level four Montreal's grasp. Well, item level four void scepter, so it's forty percent implicit on an item level four base, which makes it easy to craft plus one fire gems and dot multi. And then you can craft your high increase. I found thirty chains that bind cards, and I have not found a single death card. I have dropped the Montreal's. I cannot find death cards. It's not even. It's like. <laughs> it's just well, a death it's not card. Even a rare item, right? Like... Nope. It's it's just some some of them yeah. are. Just on Trade League, death cards were going up to 10 chaos per at one point because mm -hmm. people wanted to do the strategy. If if a Mantra Ghouls card is worth like 10 chaos in Trade League, you've like either it's getting crazy price fixed or it is very rare. <laughs> I mean, Mantra Ghouls itself is like an Alk, so that but the div card was like 10c and it was four of them <laughs> for like a <laughs> for an actual Mantra Ghouls. So some someone someone's confused about the concept of flipping there. Like, yes, I'm going to buy forty chaos worth of cards and get my one alk item. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cards are. I really like the concept of cards, but most of the time, like like you said, there's like a very small handful that work. Like I feel like they should. 
You can farm. There's like you can farm the tabby ones. You can farm the like chains of bind. Uh, there's like the short bow one. I think is pretty reasonable. Five link stuff. There's some of these stuff that like work in in some situations. Like yeah, maybe in self found or even you know you just like getting your own gear. Some of them work, but it's a very small amount. But uh, it's a shame that more of them aren't. And it's and it's not just that like oh well we can't make the card that gives you a mirror too common because it affects the mirrors. Okay, fair, but like you said, <laughs> like much girls grasp. It's not like it's a rare or valuable item. So, so there's some there's some more fundamental problems there. I suspect it's just that maps constantly changing, their drop locations are constantly changing, and there's just so many of them that GGG just doesn't it's yeah, it's really, a lot to keep it's not their priority right now for sure. Yeah. I think it is just which is a shame because it's like a thing that, you know, people spend a good amount of money on <laughs> to have these cool things added into the game. Yeah, the uh, the best divination cards are the ones that drop one of one, and you can just turn it in. Because mm-hmm. at least when you get it, you're like, "Yeah, Void. it works. Cool, I can get the item." You don't have to be like, "Well, I'm never going to build the set of this cool card." Because sometimes I get a card, and it's like something really exciting, and I'm like, "Well, I'm never getting any more of those again." There's a card that's called "Is it No Traces?" It's like thirty scourings or something, and I get so excited when I find it in SSF, and then I'm like, "But I'm never going to complete it." Ever, because like scours are great. Because scour out like everything I do, and I'm just like, no, I want the thirty scours. That's so many. Mm. Yeah. On on that note, without wanting to cut you off, you could still elaborate. But I I think we have to round things off. I I didn't look at the clock in a while, but uh, we're already dangerously close to the 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 closing time. Fun. So if you want to, yeah, feel free to elaborate on like any closing thoughts that you have for the. Diff card topic, and then give yourself a shout out, and what people can be excited to see from you, so we can find an end. Yeah, I mean, um, I oh, I really wonder what we're gonna see next league. I don't expect a lot more to happen this league. Um, it doesn't really seem like like maybe they'll put out some more little patches, polishing up some things, which is nice to see. They've been doing a good job of that, but uh, yeah, I don't think we're gonna get like anything else huge. Um, so I, I'm done with PoE for this league. I'm moving on to some other games. Um, checking out some cool indie games and whatnot. Uh, but uh, yeah, anything shy of like, uh, I really wanted the Calandra League to be really fun. So it's a bit of a, it's a bit disappointing that it's more it's not more exciting. They, I think they really were conservative with the reward of it. Even now, the buff reward, like it's it's okay. It's it's sometimes good. Uh, but overall, it feels quite conservative for like the league. And uh, that's that's unfortunate. So, anything short of like a yeah, some sort of exciting change to Calandra League or some sort of big overhaul to Arch Nemesis or something that's probably me done for the for the league, which is a shame. But I did have more fun, you know, with my hardcore swap. So that was that was that was cool. It was a cool change of pace. Um, hopefully, we get some cool stuff for next league. But yeah, I I don't know. It's gonna be interesting going into next league. I feel like. There's a lot more tension in the community after this one. And uh, hopefully GG like announce and show and execute some really cool stuff for us moving forwards. Yeah. Um, as for what I'm going to be up to, probably going to play some Total War Warhammer 3. That's uh, got a big campaign, big combined campaign currently coming out. Uh, I love my RimWorld action, so I'll probably do some more RimWorld. Um, I like... Uh, Checking out a lot of indie games in between my PoE league time. I always love your days. variety uh, coverage. It inspires yeah, me to I, eventually do more of that myself. 
Yeah, that's it. Like uh, there was there was a time for me when I could play almost nonstop Path of Exile and almost nothing else. Like Pee really like I didn't play any other games for a few years there because of Pee but I thoroughly enjoyed the brief bits of time that I do spend with Pee sometimes now. I would like them to be a little bit longer and a little bit more enjoyable. So hopefully we can get to that. But uh, there's so many cool games out there, man. So I'm you know. It's not that yeah. big a loss in the end. There's some good stuff to do in the meantime if you're not having too much fun with the league, which is my recommendation. There's only 24 hours in the day, and so uh, you got to make the most use <laughs> of that. I can can put all your eggs into one metaphorical basket, even if that yeah, basket is a, a triple G basket with the Path of Exa <laughs> logo on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love them. I love the. Uh, I know a lot of the people from GGG, so it's it's hard. To, it's hard when you know you're not really like super happy with some of the changes they're making. It's like disconnecting these two things is is challenging. Um, so I I hope we see some really cool stuff for next league. Mm. Right. Uh, quick closing round, Pox. Uh, what are your ambitions for the rest of the league? Uh, when are you going to go into variety and hopes for the next league? So I don't think they're going to be changing much with this league either. I think they're just prepping, just as Ziggy said, kind of for next league. I am definitely hoping to see some change with Arc Nemesis. They're they're not going to remove it, so I would just like to see what their concluding thoughts are as of now towards the end. Um, I'm really hoping the next league focuses on entry-level crafting for new players. I really do feel like they will to an extent. Um, I personally like when the league mechanic is really fun to do on league start and then tapers off a little as you kind of become more invested in the game. That way it gives new players a chance to do it as long as they'd like and min-maxers can kind of like, you know, figure out everything to do with it, but it doesn't feel bad to skip it if you don't want to. Um, Variety? I don't know. I don't don't think I'm going to go into Variety. We'll see. So, well, I don't know. This character, streamer. I mean, I already have a 100 Inquisitor, and this jug is 98, so I still have two months left. I don't you know already if that's are enough. a variety streamer, Pox. You're a variety Righteous Fire streamer. You're going to play okay, all that's... the varieties of Righteous Fire. <laughs> I have had uh, Elementalist, and I respect to it, Occultist, RF hit 100, <laughs> Chieftain 100, Inquisitor 100, Jug will be 100, Champion 100. I'm not fully uh, around the atlas yet, but we'll we'll get there. Or just, the, uh, the yeah, tree. do a righteous fire of every single character, please, and do There's a guide one league for every I had five. There's four or five. <laughs> I, I actually got a mage blood drop. I was just exploding maps with my RF builds. It was great. <laughs> there was a league I where say one Zenos, every ascendancy. Zeno set out to do a Brutus Lex Let Sprinkler character on every single ascendancy. I think he got around yeah. to doing oh, most yeah. of them. <laughs> that, that was a glorious time. Perfect. But I'm not wanting to open another can of potential uh, topic worms. Um, as for myself, I uh, very much enjoy playing the league. And it probably helps that I went on a bit of a hiatus leading up to the league. So I basically didn't play for like an entire like uh, 40 days before the league. Like after Gauntlet, I just stopped and focused on rethinking content and my approach to content, what I want to do with the podcast, what I don't want to do with my YouTube and stuff. So as a result, I didn't have that much time to play. And that also went into the league. I just have healthy, normal, casual hours now. I don't play 80 hours of Path of Exile per week, but I play like 20 to 30, I'd say, right? Like I do like two or three streams a week with like eight to 10 hours. And that's 
really gone a long way to enhancing my enjoyment for the game. I really currently feel this urge. Like, I really am hyped to actually play PUE after this podcast. Like, I'm looking forward to improve my gear, to get more loot, nice. and to see that stack of Chaos Orbs, Exalts, and Divines in the stash growing. And to hopefully, maybe this league, get some actual endgame bosses down in HCSSF. So, yeah, I, that, make, that makes me think, like, um, if you're enjoying Path of Exile right now, hell yeah. Oh yeah, because we get don't feel bad about that. Love it, I love it. You you do that, you know. Other oh, people I being I, I the league it. or unhappy with certain changes. Yeah, no, you just you just kind of made me made me think about that idea. It's like yeah, yes, I love I love seeing people enjoying Path of Exile. So we had quite a few new people joining my like stream this league, being like, I'm playing Path of Exile for the first time, and some people are like, Oh no, you picked a bad time. It's like, ah, man, <laughs> it's, it's like they, these people literally don't care. Like a new player yeah. literally doesn't care. They're having a great time, and it's so good to see. So yeah, you guys enjoy yourselves. You know, I, I feel some sometimes take some breaks, and we need to take those breaks. It's a detriment yeah. to have been playing for so long and to always have that comparison in your head to how the power level was previously, how smooth the build felt, and how little problems you had with the monsters, and how easy it was to craft gear. I, I yeah, wouldn't give it up, though. Like this, this long history of Path of Exile and all these different Path of Exile experiences, and you know, and not every league is going to be my favorite league, but all of this is a part of... My it's like, it's like my life has gone in parallel with Path of Exile and uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's cl- close to my heart. <laughs> and then also so like I wouldn't uh, give it up. A line from a song that I discovered recently. We didn't come this far to only come this far, right? Like, uh, if you've enjoyed the journey of GGG, going from the the three-act game that I started back then, some people even learned to know as a one-act game or two-act game. And if you know all the insane additions to the game, how the, the game has shifted from what it was back then, from a small indie game to, like, Arguably the biggest and best ARPG out there, at least for a remarkable, remarkable amount of time. And we'll see how the future holds up, but they definitely, they definitely coined and shaped the space and the expectations of what is a good ARPG. Like you can't have that conversation without Path of Exile. Absolutely. A good point to bring up. Yeah, like, like I said, without wanting to like further glue you to the, the podcast, I think this is the point where we cut off the recording. If you've missed the podcast in the beginning, uh, this is always uploaded in full to my YouTube. You can find it on all podcast platforms. The next Faded Connections will be already on Wednesday again. That's the 28th of September, 9 p.m. GMT. We're going to be joined by Gazi and another guest that I will announce in the next coming days. So follow the the Twitter or the socials where uh, I announce these things. And uh, once again, I've always forget to mention this, faded.com. FYI slash N-E-X-T Faded.FYI slash next always links to the date for the next episode. So yeah, make sure to use that short link. And uh Thanks that's for having it. me on, Kat. Yeah, nothing left to say, but Good thank you for coming both. on. Cheers. Yeah, you guys enjoy a good POE talk. Good podcast. Mm. It was awesome. Was fun. Thanks for taking the time. No problem. And bye bye until the next one.